Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Everyone and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, and joining us today is Seth Shapiro. He is the founder and CEO at Alpha Networks. Welcome, Seth. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to talk to you today. Absolutely. We're so excited to have you on. And I know you've had an exciting week. You just went off to Berlin, so we're going to have to touch base on that about what you're doing over there. But um, first off, can you tell us a little bit of an overview about Alpha Networks? Yeah, I've been working in um, digital media in Hollywood, New York, for about 24 years um, with a lot of the major networks and distributors and production companies, specifically in TV, but also in other digital areas. And Alpha Networks um, is a new blockchain-enabled streaming video service um, powered by Watson AI that will be launching um, in Q2 of 2019. Very cool. So I guess I'm still a little bit confused about what it does. So it's blockchain technology, and it's going to be working with things like online streaming video, Netflix, give us some, some case scenarios. Well, there are a lot of genres that actually aren't covered by current uh, content offerings. Um, and there's also, as you probably know, um, some holes in the current uh, way that streaming video works. For example, a very small percentage of people who do streaming video services um, can make a living doing it. Um, there are also um, significantly uh, underrepresented genres. So there's a real opportunity, we think, through the blockchain and through um, tokenization and especially powered by AI to make sort of a, a more fun, um, more fair and efficient payment system powered by better data, better analytics and, um, and information for content creators who oftentimes, who very often don't get um, the data and the um, analytics about uh, how their content is being consumed and by whom. So a lot of times as a creator or a producer, you're flying blind. Um, and even for the larger, uh, you know, most famous streaming services, uh, we have a number of content creators and producers who work with them, and often they get no data about who is in their audience, how their content or their shows are being consumed, by whom, who exactly their target audience is. So by introducing the blockchain into the equation, we're able to build a really powerful dashboard to share with producers, creators, studios, influencers, about who is watching their stuff and why. And that, that information is, is critical to create good content that is specific to your to the people who are watching it. Um, you say in the website here for Alpha Networks that cable is broken. And I, I think that a lot of our cord cutters today, may, speaking personally, I don't have a TV. I do not watch uh, channels or anything. I go specifically to Netflix or Hulu or YouTube to seek out the content I wish to to view and consume, um, you know, how are you fixing that problem? In, in essentially, are you putting together packages for people? Um, are you just collecting that that data and then giving it to the content creators? That's a really good question. So back to the point about cable. Um, cable was a really efficient model for a long time. I mean, broadcast was a very efficient model in its time too. But our thesis about the media business is really media has always been technology driven, and so. Cable was great when, honestly, there weren't this proliferation of anywhere, anytime, any device choices. And 
you didn't have internet video, right? So when cable was the only game in town, having 300 networks was sort of wonderful. You had a lot of choices, at least theoretically, but now people are spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year, thousands on things that they're never even going to watch. So that infrastructure, it's actually not necessarily anybody's fault. The infrastructure is the infrastructure. And so it's not so easy to turn on a dime. The, the cable deals that exist today are often, you know, three, five, seven year deals. And the networks that own or the distributors or studios that own these networks, as you know, tend to bundle them. So we think that the way that the industry uh, is best serviced is by sort of starting from scratch and saying, what's the ideal way for consumers um, and producers, uh, creators, what, what's the fairest system for everybody? And that's what we're building. So in some cases, uh, we'll pay you to watch certain content if we think it's going to turn you into a customer longer term for specific offering. Other stuff will be free. Other stuff you'll pay for. But it'll be reconfigurable because the architecture that we're building uh, from scratch was meant to be that way in the first place. And cable can't really – it's very hard for, for – you know, it's kind of the classic innovator's dilemma. It's very hard for a company that's been successful for decades doing things a certain way to turn on a dime and completely reinvent their business model. It kind of has to be a new disruptive company that comes along and does that. Absolutely. I think a lot of, a lot of the content creation is, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, you see it a lot with films, you know, using the same storylines over and over again, same actors over and over again. You see it in the news cycle where it's just the same stories and, and headlines being being thrown at you. So it's it's nice that you're breathing a breath of fresh yeah, air. A hundred percent. And then some of that goes back to data because you kind of have to feel for the fact that a lot of times studios are operating. I, I would suggest, I mean, they're not going to necessarily say this publicly, but knowing a lot of them. They're operating to some extent in a data vacuum. And so the reason that we see so many sequels over and over and over, and to your point, the same storylines is because in this world where exhibition is under threat and nobody really can do the sort of global pre-sales necessarily that they used to do, you have to keep the business working and you don't want people to get laid off. So you do whatever you feel relatively comfortable uh, is going to keep the lights on. And so that's why we see the thing. The reason people keep making the same movies and over, over and over again is because those are the ones that worked that kept the studios profitable. And so they'll take some risks and try some different things. But um, over the, you know, over the course of history, it's really interesting because movies used to be the place for grand artistic expression or independent thought or new vistas and exploring new themes, societal themes, you know, cultural themes, values, and um, television was the place of sort of the cookie cutter, same thing over and over again. And it's really fascinating because in many ways that's reversed now. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I find myself drawn to much more of, you know, the Hulu original content, Netflix original content um, coming out at me than I am films. I see, I see films that I, that I think might be interesting, but at the same time, I typically end up a little disappointed because I, well, I know that that's the, the case is that they're putting so much money into a film they need it to succeed. And why would they take a risk on something that's that big budget when they could take a risk on something that's a little smaller, like a TV show? Um, but I love the way that creativity has shifted in that way. And, and another interesting aspect of it is that if you just, for having worked in it long enough, the nice thing about for from a long-term perspective is for TV, sh for a movie, 
you get it once and hopefully it's great and you have a big box office and everybody's happy. Uh, the investors make their money back. The audience is happy. The performers have a good experience. But in TV, if you get it right, you've got a certain number of years that you can amortize all the cost mm -hmm. of doing it. So when TV works, it can work now, especially now that we have, I mean, all days of TV. So like 20th century television, I think, that, you know, and I wrote a book about this, but I think one of the big differences was that in the old days, um, before there's more tech, before we had digital, you know, TV had to be designed so that you could come in at any time, having never seen a show. And in the fourth season of I Love Lucy, you could watch episode six and pretty much figure out exactly what was going on. And that was true, you know, through almost every series in the 90s. Like, you don't really need, uh, you don't need cliff notes to figure out Ross and Rachel on Friends. You can pretty much watch any episode of that show at any time and figure it out. But as technology got better, the, the creators could start to count on serialization and they could assume that if you were watching episode three, you would probably see an episode two. And that completely changed the nature of the storytelling options on TV. And I think that's one of the reasons that TV got really good, because you had these sort of epic, you know, like in a way. So like on the AFI list, Godfather one and Godfather two are in the top five, I think both, but in a way, The Sopranos is an 86 hour or an 86 part version of, of a lot of the same themes, plus a lot of stuff. So TV in some way, when it works, it, it gets so much more canvas to play with. Uh, and, and then if the audience comes back, obviously economically, it's a lot more uh, lucrative to do something smaller that you get, um, you know, 50 different pieces to, to monetize rather than just one. No, absolutely. The, the the marketing and advertising potential for a successful show such as The Sopranos that can run for an infinite amount of time if it wants to is is huge. Um, do you find that the the people and the audience has changed in this new digital age in their wants and needs of content? And also, you know, with reality TV coming in too, and it's kind of a separate thing, but I feel like the audience itself and what they want has also changed. Well, that's, yeah, that's a really good question, and they are two completely different things. But since you mm -hmm. mentioned Hulu, let's take that one. Um, so I remember being in Warren Littlefield's office uh, while he was making Fargo, and they were starting The Handmaid's Tale. And mm. it's just interesting how TV, when it works, can sort of plug into a cultural moment in a way that nothing else can, because, I mean, you read reviews of, you read reviews of Handmaid's Tale, and overwhelmingly people sort of look at it as an allegory to things that are going on, you know, now. And, and mm -hmm. th there's a real power of that to TV. Like there was a, a, a I think that there was a really great moment and, you know, it's better to be lucky than good, but it's better to be both. Um, there was one moment, mm -hmm. if you remember in the first season of Mr. Robot, where um, there was this big hack, there was like a data breach. And obviously the lead character of Mr. Robot is, is the hacker. So what they wound up doing is the Ashley Madison story, broke right around the time that that episode aired so they were able to basically go into that episode and dub ashley madison in and so when you watched it live you had this sort of shock of a new where wow this dramatic series that was obviously shot a long time ago was hitting this theme that was like just right out in the air that week and i think when tv is really good that's a an amazing thing that it can do um, sort of like music used to do that a lot, you know, at the high point of the 60s or whatever, when this song would seem to kind of capture the 
that you know a certain summer or a certain year but i think i think tv really has that ability more than any other medium now to really get at that and i think that's something that people increasingly turn to it for it feels like we think about um walter white being you know this character who can't afford health care and is working really hard and i mean it's just the reason the show works so well partially was because people sympathized with the guy uh and that's why they were able to go on that ride with him for so many years. If you tried to do uh, Breaking Bad in 1992, you know, forget about it. It never would have worked. <laughs> so there's this, ama- there's this amazing thing that TV can kind of hold up a mirror to the times in a certain way. Uh, I absolutely love Breaking Bad, and I love uh, Walter White's character. He is such a beautiful, beautifully constructed character. And then uh, another example is Handmaid's Tale, when they had... Um, the episode where the, the child's being taken away, not to give anything away. Uh, certain people are being taken away from certain people. But I remember watching that episode and it hit me so hard because I usually, you know, something you're watching is, is hard to take. And you're like, well, you know, this is just a TV show. And you kind of take mm-hmm. yourself out of it emotionally. And I couldn't because I was thinking this is literally happening right now on the border. And it, it's quite phenomenal. And I guess lucky how a lot of these shows are mirroring our own existence. And I think in this age where people are a little more disconnected, we're more connected than ever, but also disconnected, that having it hit a real note and affect us in a real way is more addictive than ever, ever, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think part of the part of the reason that people are increasingly to your original question, which is really good, why, you know, what's going on with dramatic series and, and, and the culture the faster things change, the more people kind of need a way to make sense of it. And you want a collective way to make sense of it, right? So um, if you can, uh, the, the kind of a show or, or something that can give you a collective sense of, okay, this is what we're all living through together now. And um, this actually sounds in some ways, if you haven't watched a show, like a silly example. But I have a friend, um, an amazing um director named Michael Reimer, who uh, was the lead director on Battlestar Galactica. And if you remember the, you know, the sci-fi one, not the old one, which was a really mm-hmm. good show. And um, they had this, uh, this running uh, motif in that show uh, of this area of the ship that was a remembrance for all of the, uh, the people who had died on Earth. And it was, you know, a, a direct allusion to 9-11. Um, but it was extraordinarily powerful. That show just tapped into this kind of, I think, sense of mourning that people had still around the time that it was airing. And a lot of people, certainly in New York, um, were still trying to make sense of that. And there were still obviously a lot of memorials at the World Trade Center. So you had the science fiction show that was able to kind of capture the feeling of that. And I think when TV is really good, um, that's one of the things it can do really well. Absolutely. And I'm sure we could talk about these shows all day because it's a very passionate passionate thing that people people consume on a daily or weekly basis. Um, but bringing it back to, to Alpha Networks, you guys are providing so many different yep. solutions, right? I mean, it's, you're providing transparency for the economics. You've got uh, reduced piracy. I'm assuming that is because of the, the blockchain that you're using. What are some of the other like ecosystem pr- um, provisions that, that Alpha Networks is is giving yeah it's a good question so what we what we were doing is talking to producers um from you know more typical youtube influencers to you know major tv producers and saying in a perfect world what would a platform that would be great for you look like what would you like to see in a platform um and there's there are a number of things that come up one is 
it's interesting. It's not obvious, but if you think about YouTube, a, a YouTube style platform versus a Netflix style platform versus an iTunes style platform, YouTube is completely driven by advertising mm-hmm. uh, for almost, almost completely. Netflix is obviously a subscription driven platform and iTunes is called the T-Bot. So there's AVOD, SVOD, and T-Bot. One is advertising, one is transaction, and one is subscription. Like with Apple, you go and you buy this one thing or, you know, uh, you, you buy a movie or whatever. So why are they not available all on one platform so that a creator can do some things one way and some things another way? So that's one of the things we're doing. We're working with um, some of the esports folks to figure out the kind of things that they want to see on that platform. And it does feel like, I mean, I think that streaming video platforms are really just starting to hit their stride. It just is so much, no matter where you go in the world, people want to watch what they want to watch, where they want to watch it, you know, on the device that they want. And I think that trend just picks up more momentum as we go on. Um, shockingly, the market cap of, of Netflix is actually larger than that of the Walt Disney Company. So Disney owns oh. ABC and yeah, ABC and Pixar and Marvel and the entire Star Wars franchise and and Walt Disney Pictures and all of the parks. Netflix actually uh, is valued by the public markets as being worth more than that, and the reason is because the the shape of the future is going to be dictated by these new methods of delivery much more than it's going to be about watching uh, ESPN on on a big screen. And so that's what we're doing. We're digging in and we have some great partners. Um, IBM is a partner in in our effort. Radical Media, who I think are one of the most interesting production companies in the world, are partners. And so the reason we call it Alpha Networks is sort of like in the sense of alpha versus beta or you know, it's a laboratory where we get to really try to put together the most interesting, compelling um, value propositions for the audiences and the creators um, of now, rather than the way that things were 20 years ago, which tends to be the way that things, uh, you know, things run on the legacy systems that they inherited. And as I said, that's hard to change. So we're trying to build the future one, one brick at a time. That's, that's the way to do it. That's one of the only ways that you can possibly do it. So if people want to learn more about Alpha Networks, they want to check out any of your social media platforms, tell us where they can find you. Yeah, thank you. So it's www.alphanetworks.io. I think the newsletter, I'm, I'm on the road in, in Europe and Asia right now, but I think the newsletter that we've started will start going out next week. So there'll be some, there'll be a lot of information in there and people can just sign up uh, right from there. We have a presence on all the usual suspect social media platforms, but probably the best thing to do is to go to the the site, check it out, and subscribe to the newsletter. There's a video there. Uh, people will get the idea. And if they have content offerings or they're looking for new models, they should reach out to us too. You know, love to see new creators. Absolutely. Well, Seth, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. And we'll definitely have to have you back in the future. You have so many different projects up your sleeve. We will, we will be talking with you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That is Seth Shapiro. He is the founder and CEO at Alpha Networks. Again, you can find them at alphanetworks.io and on all the usual suspects of social media. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, 
virtual reality, and more.